I'm going to start off, which is traditionally known as Leil Tikkun Shavuot. That is the all-night study. I'm going to start off while you're still awake. <laughs> and I know you'll be happy to know. If it, I hope I should have sent out a, a message that said, if you're coming, you really need to listen to the messages that led up to this because they were all about the Omer. And I'm sure you'll be happy to know that we're done talking about counting the Omer, okay? This, we've counted it. This is it. This is day 50, right? It's Shavuot. The counting is over. But then I walked into the sanctuary tonight, <laughs> and I saw the most incredible set of decorations on the wall that were a surprise to me. I didn't know about this. I didn't know that I had a comb Omer. <laughs> I didn't know it was game Omer. I mean, just take a look at all the creativity that's on the wall from the Torah Club teams and uh, Torah Club group and, and insight of all this fantastic Omerism. How could we not continue talking about it? We're on to something here. Actually, this can be our private shalom-making language. I've, always, I've already thought about it. It's like a fraternity handshake. Anytime you see someone, you never use the word over. You just say omer, and then they know. It's like our little, you know, clubhouse handshake or something. But I do need to conclude all the talk of the Omer, and, and this, this is that, because this is what Shavuot is. I mean, that's one of the names for Shavuot. It's called Atzeret. We know the holiday Shmini Atzeret, which concludes Sukkot after seven days. But the rabbis looked at a holiday called Atzeret for Shavuot and said it was the conclusion of seven weeks of Passover. So this is certainly a conclusion and we've talked over this last few weeks about the 49 days and why it's important. And I gave you a reason, an expectation for the big thing that God is doing as we prepare our hearts during this period, which is right now, by the way. You're preparing your hearts tonight and tomorrow, and then we're into Shabbat, and then we have all this incredible uh, time of community, and, and we're here together for it. First of all, welcome to everyone. It's absolutely amazing to have people from all over the place and also online. You guys aren't online this time. If you're from Georgia, it's not a big deal, but you're not online. Hi to everyone who is online. You have to turn around and wave because it's not you this time. Hi, Hag Sameach. Hag Sameach. Okay, but... We wish, we wish they were here, but everyone's part of the family wherever you are. So we talked about the controversy, too, of counting the Omer, which I saw some funny comments about the controversy message that I gave last week, um, one of which was being, was, I don't understand how this impacts my life at all, <laughs> which is sort of true. I mean, you know, some, we had a visitor here last week who was hearing this sermon, and he came up to me and he said, wow, that was really interesting. Life application? Don't know what that is, but I mean, it was interesting. And it, that's what it is, but it's history and it's a part of something, and tonight I want to conclude that. 
to tell you what that, why that matters and conclude the story that I started there because we talked about that, the 16th of Nisan, right? Or Sunday, if you're a Pharisee, it's you start counting on the 16th of Nisan. Who wants to be a Pharisee? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sunday, if you're a Sadducee, the day after, the Shabbat of Passover, if you're a Pharisee. And we, we looked at that. The Sadducees had their different approach. Sunday, always Sunday, to which I concluded last week's Shabbat message with this question, why? What difference does Sunday make? Why was that such a thing? There are some funny things people write on, online about why that is, but we won't tell those jokes tonight. <laughs> Why Sunday? Well, that's a, it's actually an easy answer in the practical, literal sense. It's because that's how they read the Bible, literally. They read the day after Sabbath and said it's Sunday, okay? And we don't have to rehash that whole message. But there is an answer as we celebrate tonight on Thursday night, Shavuot, and welcome it on Friday. There is an answer. And of course, this won't surprise you at all, but it's courtesy of a great teacher that I never had the pleasure of meeting, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, who provides some incredible insight that I want to share and then add a little bit myself to the story. And it still has to do with the Omer. But where is the other place in the Torah where we hear a lot about the Omer? Does anyone else know? Where, where, is, where does Omer surface a lot in other parts of the Torah? Actually, one other part. Anyone know? A, manna. Who said it? Man, manna. All right, so, so that's right. There's another interesting place with the use of the word. It's not used very much in Torah other than to talk about this other thing. How much manna did they collect? An omer. Okay? What is an omer? It's a measure. It's, an, it's a measuring. I think it's 43 ounces. Don't hold me to that. But I think it's something like that. But I'm going to, let me give you a quick refresher. And you don't mind if I talk for a long time because you got nowhere to be, right? <laughs> Some of you drove a thousand miles. Where are you going to go? <laughs> but I think this is worth talking about. In Exodus 16, we read this. It's verse 14, Darren, if you want to pull it up. When the fall of dew lifted, there over the surface of the wilderness lay a fine and flaky substance as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, Man who? What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which Hashem has given you to eat. This is what Hashem has commanded. Each household shall gather as much as it requires to eat un." Omer to a person, for as many of you as there are, each household shall fetch according to those in its tent. The Israelites did so, some gathering much, some little, but when they measured it by the Omer, anyone who had gathered much had no excess, and anyone who had gathered little had no deficiency. Each household gathered as much as it needed to eat. On the sixth day, they gathered double the amount of food. How many? Two 
Omers, where does that reflect for us in modern practice? At the Shabbat table, we have how many loaves of challah? Two. To remember the special blessing of how much did they gather? An omer. How much does your challah weigh? It better weigh 43 ounces. No, just. But that's the place, that's the other prominent place where we hear this word, omer, related to the manna. But let's back up a little bit into chapter 16, verse 1. Before we get into this, anyone remember what Israel was doing before the man came down from heaven? Kvetching. Okay? Say the word, kvetching. By the way... For the next three days, this is a no-kvetching zone. <laughs> but this is what happened, okay? Then they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after the departure from the land of Egypt. Pause, let's ask a question. We're in the second month on the 15th day. When did they leave Egypt? The 15th of Nisan. I'm not going to put all these people on the spot. No one ever wants to raise their hand, even when there's four people here. No one ever trusts me to not be sarcastic. They left on the 15th of Nisan. That was what month on the calendar? The first month. The second month on the 15th day, the month of ER, that's where we are in this place. It's been how long between the 15th of Nisan to the 15th of ER? One month, 30 days. Very good, you brave people. <laughs> we're 30 days out from Egypt, okay? The we're now into the next month. You have Nisan, Iyar, Sivan. These are the months, okay? So we're on the 15th of Iyar, 30 days out from Egypt. 16.2 is the verse. But the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled. They kvetched against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when he sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread until we were full. You may not have ever paid attention to that line exactly, but we're going to tonight. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the entire assembly with hunger. Now, I've had fun with that verse before because I'm not a huge fan of matzah. After 50 years, I'm just not a huge fan of it. I wasn't after the first year. But I, my joke has been, of course they complained. What had they been eating for 30 days? Matzah, you would complain too. But there's something else. There's something more significant than matzah jokes. They had been eating matzah for 30 days, but now it had run out. There was no more matzah. Okay? Rashi tells us that they had taken 61 meals, 61 portions. They ate twice a day. It's been 30 days. They have none left, which gives a new context to the complaining, doesn't it? If you're in the middle of the desert with no food, and you're looking at the guy who brought you out and said, this is going to be fine, 
you would complain too. So there's no food, which is why they're saying when we ate bread until we were full, now you've taken us here to starve to death? Okay. That gives some perspective, but God had a plan. So he heard them complaining and it was justified, right? The Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm going to rain down for you bread from heaven and the people shall go out and gather what's needed for the day so that I can test them whether or not they'll follow my teaching. And on the next day after their grumbling, what came down from heaven? Krispy Kreme donuts, <laughs> fried cakes that tasted like honey. The miracle happened, and the manna fell on the 16th of ER. Okay? A special edible substance from the sky which received the name manna. Now, here's the question. Now, I'm going to connect. It's, I promise you it's going to connect, and the Omer is going to be in it. When did the manna fall? The 16th of ER. What day of the week? Sunday. Okay? Sunday. Almost all commentators agree. And you are struggling right now to even track with what I'm saying here. But Sunday, the, ma the man fell from heaven. So what? <laughs> But not quite. We're going somewhere great. Right now, you, you probably really are making this connection if you heard my last message. Sunday, Sunday, Omer. Hmm. If you see it, you see the connection. If you're a Sadducee, you see it. <laughs> the controversy. We start on Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Gotta be Sunday, the Sadducees said. And now there's, there, there's a connection. The miraculous manna from heaven began falling on a Sunday. What did they collect? An omer of manna on Sunday. That's so, like, that works, I think, for the Sadducees. They left Egypt. They're no longer under Pharaoh and Egyptian slavery, but since the departure, they've eating they're eating matzah, which is known as what kind of bread? The bread of affliction. That bread has run out, and now even bread of affliction would be attractive, but there isn't any, and it's about to get really tough. But God shows up. He provides the miracle of manna, of which the Torah says each gathered one omer. And that bread, in the eyes of the Sadducees and the Samaritans and the Karaites and all those people, they said, this is the bread of freedom. And it started on Sunday, an omer's worth. So, this omer of miraculous manna, we, we, we recall the goodness of God's provision, zecher leman, we say, the remembering the omer, and logically then, one could see how, in their eyes, Sunday was a great day to celebrate freedom. God did something tremendous miraculous 
That Sunday lives forever in their minds as a reminder of the bread of affliction being replaced by the bread of freedom. Say it with me like Mel Gibson. No. <laughs> freedom! <laughs> Which that seems beautiful. That really is beautiful. So why wouldn't the Pharisees jump on that? Well, there's a different story to consider, of course, of course. For this, we need to look to the book of Yeshua, of Joshua, and still a connection to our, this is the season under consideration and a related connection to the manna. All of the pieces, all of the pieces fit together here, but in a different conclusion. And I'll remind you of what happened in Joshua 5. First, something very uncomfortable, he circumcised Everyone who hadn't been circumcised because they were in the desert for 40 years and they didn't have that. So he did it. Not fun. But then Hashem said to Joshua, this day I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of that place has been called Gilgal to this day. And they did something there. While B'nai Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed Passover on the evening of the 14th in the plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, matzah, and roasted grain. Interesting usage right here. They observed Passover. Okay? How do we observe Passover? Well, back then, you slaughtered a lamb on the 14th, you ate it on the 15th, you rested on the 15th. And that was observing Passover. So that's what they did. But it says that they did something right after that. They ate the bread of the land on the 16th. On the day after when they ate the produce of the land, guess what else happened? What stopped? The manna. The manna stopped on that day. So what? <laughs> no, it, it matters. Listen, two incredible things. You have, to pay, you have to pay close attention. The Israelites got no more manna. That year they ate of the yield of the land of Canaan. The 16th of Nisan, two things. Israel was in their land, the land that God had promised to them. We'll talk more about that on Saturday. The land that God had promised. And after 40 years, they're finally eating the produce of their land. The miraculous bread from heaven stopped. The bread that the Sadducees would have described as the bread of freedom stopped. What does that mean? A major difference of opinion. The Sadducees celebrated the day the manna started, a Sunday as the miraculous work of God to always be remembered. The Pharisees celebrated the day the manna stopped as a day to always be remembered. That 
to them is the bread of freedom. To be in the land, when you begin to eat the produce of the land, this is the bread of freedom. And it was consumed and the manna stopped and we celebrate that. One celebrates and remembers when it started and the other one celebrates when it stopped and they're both calling it freedom, the bread of freedom. What do we do with that? It all depends on how you decide and define what freedom is. Who's got that right? The difference between the manna and the produce of the land. Let's consider that real quick. The location. Where does manna come from? God, heaven. Where does the, where does the bread come from? It comes from God, but let's not be super spiritual. It comes from the earth. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. From the earth. Provision. Manna is miraculous. God did it out of nothing. Where does bread come from? You work for it. You work for it. Bread is provided by God, but it's by the work of our hands. What did, you, what did they do to get manna? Walked out of the tent. What do you do to get bread? You work. You labor. You work in the land. What kind of food? Manna is heavenly food. It's for the angels. What is barley food? Barley is for animals and like, it's a low grain. Both schools celebrate that the Omer was about eating the bread of freedom, but what is freedom? And here's the real difficult question. Is freedom for you when God meets your every single need to do everything so that you never have to lift a finger in the world. Is that freedom? That was freedom to the Sadducees. You know why? They were corrupt, wealthy, taking advantage of people, and for someone else to do everything for you was fantastic, man. That's great. That's freedom. Sounds great. So to celebrate the day that the manna began, to call that the bread of freedom when every, you don't have to do anything, according to the Midrash, is missing something very fundamental in this life. And do you know what that is? The beauty of effort. The beauty of work and effort and being a co-creator and a partner and an investor in this life. Yes, it's hard work to till, to plow, to plant, to harvest, to grind, to roast, to bake, and to serve. But for the children of Israel in Joshua 5, that was the culmination of freedom. Because no matter what, it was their land to till and plow and plant and bake and harvest and serve. Their land, yes, it's God's land, but he gave it to them. To be a slave to Pharaoh, that's the absolute worst. But to be a wandering people without a land, even if God provides miraculous provision, is still not freedom. 
It is actually part of the original plan that we are partners in labor. At the time man came to be, Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden to do what? Work it and guard it. Work it, boy. <laughs> to work it and guard it. Right? The Zohar, it's mystical, but I don't care. It's wonderful. Here's what it says. It's got an interesting concept in this. The bread of shame. You know what the bread of shame is? It is taught that when people receive something that they did not earn, they are guilty of eating the bread of shame. There's a Jewish perspective on charity that illustrates this. Obviously, tzedakah and giving charity is a huge, huge component of Judaism. But when you see somebody down on their luck, somebody who needs money, you don't throw money at them and walk away and say, I hope that helps. You know what you do? You establish a loan. You give them money, establish a loan with payment terms. Even if you never expect to see another dime, why would you do that? So that they're dignity is intact so that they do not feel that they've taken this undeserved handout, that they still have an opportunity to work and pay it back, even if you don't ever think you'll see a dime. That's to keep them from eating the bread of shame. And that lesson applies to many aspects in life. It's, it's very simple. I don't even have to tell you, but let me tell you, we should not be takers who receive goods and services from others with no effort. We should be givers who do our share to repay the many benefits we enjoy. If you take out of proportion to what you give, do you know what you do? You eat the bread of shame. We don't live with the quality of being upright and free. And when you dig deeper into human nature, what you find is that requiring work and, and effort from man, that was actually the design of God, ultimate, perfect goodness by God, that when a person invests effort, he earns his reward. But in a case when he receives a totally gratuitous handout purely as a donation. It's the bread of shame. It distresses more than cures. I know that's very, like, unorthodox from a very orthodox text, but it's true. So the Pharisees, the people's people, they, they, they saw in the miraculous consideration of the omer of manna that that's not really freedom. The freedom is in the partnership with God. The freedom is in the planting and the plowing and the digging and the praying and watching it come up and knowing I did that with God's help. So the Pharisees, they, they, the good Pharisees, and there were many, who worked and labored, they were the people's people. It's a lesson for us. It's a lesson actually for our community. It's a lesson for you wherever you are, but it's a lesson for our community right here, which is just simply to say, 
at the festival of Shavuot anytime. God is, this is miraculous. This is wonderful. This is amazing. It's incredible. I could come up with all kinds of overwhelming words. But it's, in, it's, it's amazing, something miraculous, but we don't just take the gift without giving back. No community can survive. We're only a few people labor. The 80-20 rule, which is really more like 90-10, is bogus in a healthy community. We need everyone. That means the work of your hands, it means your hearts, and sometimes it even means your wallets. I know that's hard, but that's the truth. But we're not going there tonight. I've already given the one tithing message for the year. <laughs> which, which Torah portion is that? Every, every Messianic Jewish rabbi's tithing portion. The one where Moses has to say, stop bringing, you brought too much. And then the rabbi says, we don't have that problem. <laughs> But let me, let me go back and, and bring this thing home. Bread and Omer and freedom and Shavuot. I like to think that regardless of all the controversy, given what I've taught here, due in large part to teaching I've received from others, I'd like to think, and I'm pretty confident, that we're here on the right night. That we got it right the 16th of Nisan, when we started counting the Omer in concert with Israel entering the land and the cessation of the manna, it all represents something so very important today as much as it did then. Shavuot represents, as I said at the beginning, the culmination, starting with the barley harvest, this simple grain, and now it, can, it, it, it culminates in the Shavuot wave offering, right? What are we waving on Shavuot? Bread! Two loaves of bread. The bread of, it's even leavened, which is like out of character. We did that. We put that in there. Because God brought things out of the earth and we put it together and we put some yeast in it. And we made this fantastic bread that beats the heck out of matzah. <laughs> it culminates there, not in the bread of shame, but in partnership. Partnership. Co-laboring with God, recipients of a promise. We're not just dependents, we're contributors, at least I hope. We labor for the kingdom of God. We work for the kingdom of God. And for the season of, I, this is, I think every Jewish holiday we could, we could somehow boil down to empowerment, whatever it is. I mean, every one of them has this incredible underlying theme, but ultimately it's to elevate you. It's to, it's to empower you because that's what this should be. It's, yes, I like ice cream. I like dairy foods, cheese. I like reading the Ten Commandments, which are all things that we're going to do because it's Shavuot, and that's fantastic. But... It should be a little bit more than that. And so there is actually, speaking of staying up all night, 
It is considered tomorrow at, at sunrise, dawn, to be a very auspicious and amazing time of prayer. It's a time in, in, in Judaism where you're giving your big, impossible, amazing prayers that you would like to see Hashem answer. It's not superstitious. It's just tied to the season. It's tied to the fact that tradition tells us that they stayed up all night long waiting for the Torah, and the next day this unbelievable thing happened where God came down and made a relationship with Israel, and they became covenant people, and they, like, oh, man, incredible. So there's this, this idea that this, this buzz and energy that was circling around the mountain, we still bring those big prayers. And I'm going to let you in on a little bad secret. We will not be doing a sunrise service tomorrow. But you can. You can be intentional. Tonight, starting tomorrow early, I asked you a question you know, during the first Omer message, which I promise you this is actually the last Omer message for this year. For this year. It is going to be Omer soon. I want you to be intentional with the question that I asked you. Why do we count? I said, well, what is God preparing you for? What next great thing is ahead for you and for him? And that's such a cheesy question, I know. What does God want to do in your life, in your life? <laughs> but do you ever really think about that question? When we go through life, we do the same thing over and over and over again. We say, man, I want more out of this life, but I'm not going to do anything. I just want more. It's like manna from heaven. You can keep going out and finding the same thing. Or you can plant and invest and dig and toil and work and build. And it can be fantastic. So knowing that, that we're co-creators and in this life, listen, this is the only chance you get to do that. This is the only chance that flesh and blood you gets to be a co-creator in this planet. This is it. So what's the next big thing? For some people, that question is too big. You know? The bread of freedom is more than God doing everything for you. That's not what he asks. He says, go and make disciples. Repair the world. Repair the world, someone says. Repair the world... I'm broken. <laughs> I'm the one who needs repair. Okay, fine, start there. That's a fantastic place to start. Maybe that's your Shavuot empowerment experience. Maybe that's what you need to do is repair yourself. You need a reconnection, a, a Holy Spirit burst of renewal. You need answers, you need clarity, you need direction, start there. And then you can ask the big question, what's next? What's next? What are we going to build together? What am I going to do with the fantastic freedom I've been given? I'm not going to eat the bread of shame. I'm just not going to take. I'm not going to take and take and take. I'm going to give. I'm going to take, but I'm going to give. And so, 
I pray as we remember all of the good of this season of empowerment, the beauty of God who gave an instruction book for life. Listen to me. He wrote it down. It's that easy. I don't know. What's, what's God want me to do? He wrote it down. <laughs> the Torah written down, the gift of our Messiah, who echoed beautifully these instructions. If you can't find it in the Torah, find it in his words and apply it and do something with it and labor with it and invest with it. And the bread of freedom that Shavuot that reminds us of a culmination of our relationship as co-creators. God still provides for you. We never, I'm not suggesting that we ignore that reality in any sense. We always acknowledge it. Everything is from God. Everything is from God. What do you want to do with it? He gives us resources to use in the world and with all of it for all of these realizations. Listen, I pray that Hashem answers your prayers, whether they're now, whether they're at sunrise, whether they're a year from now. I don't care. I pray that He answers all of them in accordance with His perfect will and empowers and enlivens your spirit. It'd be really sweet if there were some incredible prayers answered here or on your way home when you leave here. And we can say, wow, those mystical guys who came up with that idea about praying at dawn on Shavuot, really on, they were really on to something. But I pray that we can send you out from here for the next great thing that God has for you. But thank God, right now, we're just getting started. It's the first night, and you've done a fantastic job of staying awake. <laughs> so hag Shavuot Sameach. Happy Shavuot. Welcome to Shalom Macon, to all of you who have traveled to be here. I look forward to the next incredible thing that God has for us over the next few days. Baruch Hashem. Amen.